Well, I've got a little lightweight question for you today. Why did your life turn out this way? Do you love your work? Do you think it's possible? Well, you're about to find out. It's time for 48 Days to the Work You Love with Dan Miller on the 48 Days Online Radio Show. Whether you need a professional tune-up or a work overhaul, this is the program for you. Now, here's your host, Dan Miller. Well, we've got a ton of answers from you, the listeners, this week. I posed a question last week, and the question was... We are not products of our environments. We are products of our expectations. What do you think? Do you agree or not? And I promise to share some of your answers on today's podcast. That's what we're going to do. We're going to dig into that and more on today's episode of 48 Days Radio. Well, here's some of the questions we'll be answering as well as the one I started out with there. Why did your life turn out this way? I mean, when you think about that, what do you think? Was it your environment? Was it a matter of decisions you made? Was it a matter of expectations? Maybe other people's expectations. Well, we're going to look at that. How did I go from farm boy to New York Times author? And then I'm going to share with you what five characteristics are needed to overcome a negative environment. So here's a quotation for today. It comes from Ralph Walder Emerson, one of my favorite writers. Once you make a decision, the universe conspires to make it happen. Again, once you make a decision, the universe conspires to make it happen. Now, I'm going to play for you a little clip from Tony Robbins. This comes from a series of short clips in the Nightingale Conant Author Insights series. And I'm going to give you a, a link to go and listen to all of these. These are people. What, what happened is about five years ago, Nightingale Conant, the big company out of Chicago that has all the audio programs from what I call Masters of Achievement, people like Zig Ziglar and, and, uh, and Tony Robbins, Deepak Chopra, Dennis Waitley, Norman Vincent Peale, Earl Nightingale, Napoleon Hill, and it goes on and on. All those guys have had programs with Nightingale Conant. So they ask 25 of us, about five years ago, their best-selling authors, to provide just a short clip on what was it that really added to the success you're experiencing today, or what's an interesting story you know about somebody turning the corner. Now, I'm going to share my story from that series right at the end of today's show. I'll I'll put that right at the, the last, talk a little bit about my journey. It's three minutes long, but this one I want you to hear right now. This comes from Tony Robbins because it so lays the groundwork. I didn't think about this when I posed the question last week, when I posed that question to all of you, you know, are we products of our environments or are we products of our expectations. But I thought of this as I was preparing my notes for the podcast. I want to play this because it so profoundly speaks to this issue. Check this out. Hi, this is Tony Robbins. I didn't have the chance to spend much time with Earl Nightingale before he passed, but he still had a profound impact on my life. And I think about anyone in the personal improvement or peak performance industry. This is a man whose original audio recording of The Strangest Secret took a thought that had been shared many times before, this idea that we, by taking control of our minds, of our thoughts, can take control of our lives. It was taught by As a Man Thinketh by James Allen. It's been taught by so many people, but never before was it delivered 
with that incredible voice that just penetrated your soul. That was Earl Nightingale. But someone asked if I share a story that touched me. I remember one that Earl shared with me, and I'm not going to share this perfectly accurately, but my summary of it would be this. When you look at how people's lives turn out and you want to know why, think of this story that Earl shared with me. He said there was a friend of his, a man he got to know, who ran into tough times, and as he dealt with his stress, he used alcohol as a coping device. And he got so drunk and so run down that at one point, in desperation, with no money, just to get money for alcohol and to survive, he decided to hold up a liquor store. He had no clear plan. He wasn't that smart in this area. It certainly wasn't his skill set. And he was inebriated. So a horrific problem became catastrophic when he went and tried to hold up the liquor store and the man behind the counter made a move that startled this man. And as a result, he started spraying bullets And in the aftermath, without ever meaning to, he shot the proprietor. The man at the cash register actually died of the wounds. So the man obviously went through the court case and was imprisoned for life. All this because the man never learned to master his own mind, his own thinking, his own emotions. But here's where the story gets more interesting. Earl Sheridan said that what had happened over the years, he would follow up since he knew the man's boys. And he had two boys, if I remember correctly, I think they were about two years apart. At the time that the man went in prison, I think they may have been 12 and 14. And Earl would, from time to time, every four, five, ten years, check in with them. And finally, when they were in the early 30s, he wanted to see how having their father being in prison for life had affected them. And interestingly enough, he found the two boys by this young 30s age had radically different life paths. One of the boys had gotten involved with a business and had succeeded and become a regional sales manager. He was married and he had three children and seemed to be very happy with his life. The other individual had gotten involved with drugs and walked a path very similar to his father's where he used drugs as a coping device. And as a result of that, one day found himself in exactly the same position, holding up a liquor store to try to get cash to feed his addiction that he developed at this stage. And this man did not kill the person behind the counter, but this man also, in his stress, fired off some bullets and was caught and hauled away for attempted murder. So now he's in prison, a different prison than his father. His father's been in prison for life. He's in his early 30s. And Earl said that he went to visit with this young man, and he asked him an interesting question, and he decided to ask the exact same question of his brother, who was the regional sales manager for this company who was happy with his three kids. And what he asked both men separately was, why did your life turn out this way? And ironically, they both gave him the same answer without speaking to each other. They both said, how else could my life have turned out having had a father like that? Now think about that. One man says that he's in prison today because his father was a role model for that. The other one says he has a successful life today because his father was a role model of what not to do. Whenever we point to someone else and we say our life is messed up because of something that happened to us or because of the way a parent treated us, it's always a lie. Ultimately, our destiny comes in our own decisions. It's not your conditions. It's your decisions that shape your life and destiny. And Earl Nightingale shared it so well in that wonderful story. It impacted me at a very young age, and I've never forgotten it. Thanks, Earl. God bless to you and to your organization. Well, that sets the stage for what we're going to talk about today, that profound story. And yes, I'm going to give you a link to that. If you look in the show notes, I'll give you a direct link to that clip. And 
that of several other authors as well. But that's a profound one. I've listened to it many times because it so dramatically plays out this question. Are we a victim of our circumstances, our environments, or can we change where we are, who we are, where we're going because of our decisions, our expectations? Well, I got a whole lot of your comments on that that we're going to be looking at here right after some good news. I want to share some good news. Well, it's all good news, but uh, got a couple clips that I pulled up I wanted to share that I thought were kind of uh, interesting. Here's one. Rather than pay $150,000 in ransom, Radiohead publishes stolen music and donates sales to environmental group. Now this, you know, if you're into music, you know the group Radiohead. They're doing a lot of creative things over the years, but they're a legendary English rock group. And they were recently faced with a ransom demand. Here's what happened. A hacker got into their computer system and he had access to 18 hours on Bandcamp that was a lot of music. Radiohead was developing some things they've done in the past, not releasing all. 18 hours of music. And he said, you need to give me $150,000 for the return of that, or I'm going to go ahead and publish it myself. Now think about that. You could put yourself in that situation, even if you're in an English rock band, but you know, this is one of those, it's like the story of the, the girl that had to pick a pebble out of a bag that I tell in No More Dreaded Mondays. I'll share that story at some point. But here they're confronted with this. There seem to be only two responses. Either this guy would go ahead and publish their music and you know destroy the value of that later on, or they would pay the $150,000 to get him to not do it. No, they came up with the third response. The third response was, hey, we're just going to go ahead and put it out there for everybody. We're going to go ahead and take all the 18 hours that you've got that you think you are controlling us with. We're going to go ahead and just put it out there for our fans. We're going to make it available and they can pay $18 and that $18 is going to go to a nonprofit that we're part of. And that's what they did. <laughs> and you know what happened? They had thousands and thousands of people who paid the $18, got access to that. And the band's like, hey, it's no big deal. You know, if we decide to publish it at some point, we will. But some of it really isn't even that good. But I love their creative response. They didn't get all hot-headed about it, grab their lawyers, you know, go try to track somebody down like we often do when we get some kind of a threat online. Nah, they just went on their way. You know, we have, I have right here in my office an audio set. It's a two DVD set, and it's Diamonds from Dan. Now, it's got a picture of me in the front. It's Diamonds from Dan. It's a lot of the content that I teach in the 48 Days to the Work You Love seminar. Now, the interesting thing is it's a totally bootlegged product. Sales for $9.99. I mean, you can find it online. It's still available. We bought a bunch of them and just gave them out, of course, as examples. But here's the deal. There's no ISBN on there. There's no tracking number. There's no company behind it. It's one of those, somebody did a really good job of being anonymous and yet selling this and obviously having the money go to some kind of account. But did I run to my attorney and say, this guy you know, has stolen my content? We need, nah, didn't do that. Because you know what? We started hearing from people saying, 
hey, I, I listened to your diamonds from Dan. You know, what other content do you have? And we turned them into customers for other products that we had. We had a lot of fun with it. I considered it to be free marketing for us, the fact that somebody did that. Now, that's not going to be true in every case, but that's the way that we view a whole lot of things that happen in that arena. Well, here's a school that gives students credit for physical education class when they do yard work for seniors and the disabled. Now, think about what phys ed usually consists of. You know, it's some jock who's a phys ed teacher screaming at the kids to make them run around the track. You know, no real purpose for it. Just they have to do it as part of phys ed. So rather than making the kids do laps around a gym track, here's an alternative school in Iowa that's allowing their students to earn their physical education credits by helping disabled and senior citizens. Now, the students at the Alternative Learning Center and this is in Iowa, are being encouraged to fulfill these requirements by doing yard work for people in the community who are unable to do it themselves. Now, this is a learning center geared toward junior and senior high students who are at risk of dropping out. They're challenged, they're troubled kids, they're not doing well in school, but this is something they gave them to do as part of a unique alternative program. And I love that. Now, Tim Hitzler, the, the, stu- the teacher, rather, he's been supervising the volunteer students' yard work over the last few weeks, says it's had an amazing impact on the teens as well as the homeowners in the community. So the students go out. They could be raking leaves, pulling weeds, cutting grass, cleaning gutters, just whatever the, a person needs. Shows a picture of somebody laying a patio. I mean, think about the skills that might be being learned by these kids, as well as the idea of being involved in something that is giving, that's serving. He says the students aren't typically too excited at the beginning, but once they get involved, start doing the yard work, they become more motivated. What they really like is helping people. They really like giving back to people and meeting the person. You know, there was a, a couple of weeks ago, I talked about a school in India that is requiring tuition from their students. Now, again, this is a school that serves underserved students who have whose parents have a hard time paying. So the students pay their tuition by gathering trash in their community. Trash is a common concern, big problem. So the students have to bring a bag of trash to school with them each day. Well, it's cleaning up the community, and it gives them the sense of being involved, having some skin in the game for the schooling that they're getting. Well, I love those kind of stories. All right, let's go to our lead topic for the day, where I posted this last week in the Eagles community. We are not products of our environments. We're products of our expectations. And then I said, what do you think? Do you agree or not? And then I said, I'll be sharing some of the responses in today's podcast. So here's some of the responses that I got from people. Now, you're going to see, and I tried I tried to leave this open. Now, if people know me, I mean, obviously, you're going to know my bent on this. Are we products of our environments or are we products of our expectations? I mean, it's going to be pretty clear, I think, what my leaning is on this. But I tried to ask it pretty open-endedly and objectively. And here's some of the responses that I got back. Steve Barkley says, I think our environment plays a huge part in shaping our expectations, which then shape our future. That's why there are cycles of poverty generation after generation. That's why we act like the people we're around the most. That is why saturating our environment with positivity will make us more positive thinkers. And the contrary to all these examples is also true. 
Um, Dan, you've mentioned when you were at your lowest financially, you actively created a positive environment by listening to motivational speakers. A better environment produces better expectations. Well, a lot of truth nuggets in there, Steve. Thank you for that. Yeah, I mean, look at the cycles of generation, the cycles of generation, the cycles of poverty in generations. Do you really think that those people who are third generation welfare recipients living in the projects are incapable of doing anything? No, they've learned from previous generations. This is what we do. This is what we do in our family. We just wait for the government check. They're going to take care of our housing, our food, our dental needs. You know, pretty much everything we need. You don't have to do anything. It's an expectation and it gets carried on. Can you break that cycle? Well, certainly. We've seen lots of great examples about people who have broken that cycle. Rebecca Jenkins says, I think it's both. Expectations can lead to new environments and environments can lead to alternative expectations. So I think it's both. Valerie says, often our expectations can be influenced by our environment. Authority figures are tear down young people, put them at a disadvantage, and they often won't expect much of themselves. But as we become more emotionally intelligent and are made aware of what we don't know, we can start being intentional and changing our expectations and our environment. Brian says, environmental influencers are powerful forces in the molding of an individual. Lest we forget, observation can only carry an opinion and analysis so far, and it totally neglects the private world we all have within us, like mindsets, intents, expectations, appreciations, emotions. Robert says, what a great topic. I suppose your environment is somewhat like building blocks for your life. What you do with them is up to you. We still have twins at home. Being 17 years old, they've lived in the same environment, but they have so many differences in so many ways. Fortunately, for those of us who are followers of Christ, we believe that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called in accordance with his purpose. All right, Dirk says, this is not a simple question that can be answered with agree or disagree. Many factors are not accounted for with a blanket statement, such as we are not products of our environments, we are products of our expectations. Each of our environments are unique to our own viewpoint. Our environment has a huge influence on our own expectations of oneself. However, one's own internal drive and mindset can offset the environmental factors that are in play. Also, exposure to different types of environments can expand the expectations of oneself. I think you're really right on that, Dirk. I mean, I don't take lightly the fact that I was born in the United States of America. Now, we weren't, you know, we we were very, very poor, but uh, I had a lot of advantages. There's no question about it. You know, would my life have been different had I been born in Taiwan or Afghanistan or China? And yes, it would have been different. I mean, I have no way of really telling how different it would have been. But I do keep circling back to that issue that our internal drive and mindset, as you mentioned here, can override most of the impact of environment. Well, Terry Sullivan says, I believe that's true. Essentially, we are what we believe. Environments affect us. But we can choose to affect our environments and be change agents if we truly are living what we believe. Paul says, I very much agree. 
Some who come from difficult circumstances think they cannot rise above. Others from the similar circumstances realize they are powerful in ways that those who haven't struggled can never be. Ted says, interesting to consider the interplay between the two, environment and mindset or expectations. My gut instinct is that our environments shape our expectations. How do we move beyond both? Boy, great question. I mean, how do we do that? When you look at the environment that you grew up in, whatever it was, how much of a factor was that in shaping who you are today? How much of a factor was that in shaping what your expectations for your own life are like today? Can you take a very negative environment and simply change your expectations? You know, can we really do that? Or is that just some artificial, superficial, positive mental attitude that doesn't really work? Well, Marianne says, oh man, how I love this. This is Marianne Renner. You hear me refer to her. She's one of our endorsed 40 or certified 48 days mastery coaches. She said, about seven years ago, I started a new practice of beginning each day saying, I expect great things to happen today. My life has never been the same. In the mid-60s, researcher Robert Rosenthal developed the expectancy theory. He conducted IQ tests for an elementary class, told a teacher that four of her students were geniuses. In actuality, they were just average. But by the end of the year, they were tested again, and those students' scores skyrocketed simply because of the teacher's expectations of them. Thanks, Dan, for modeling this principle. Wow. So many, so many responses. Love this. Got some more here. Are we controlled by our environments? Or can we change the direction of our lives by changing our expectations? Got more. Hey, the music just reminds us we're listening to real life questions and answers here from you, the listeners. Thanks so much for your participation. I do consider it an honor each week to open your questions, your responses, and share them on here unpack them. I'll tell you, yesterday we had a long conversation on a coaching mastery program about the benefits of being a coach. One of those being the personal development that takes place. The fact that I get to walk through the challenges that people are experiencing, help me figure out my own solutions like nothing else I could possibly do. I mean, there's not reading, listening, there's education degrees. There's nothing that could help me as much, I don't think, as actually working with people who are trying to improve their own lives. It helps me improve my own. I consider that a great, great privilege. Now, if you got a question you'd like for us to address here on the 48 Days Radio Show, just to shoot it into me at askdan at 48days.com. Again, just that email simply is askdan at 48days.com. So, on with the responses. Are we controlled by our environments or do our expectations take us in new directions? Les says, Dan, I agree, even though we're affected by our families, friends, and surroundings, the truth is no one can make me believe, feel, or do anything without my willing participation. Those are things I choose. I certainly can't always control my environment, but I can absolutely control what I think contemplate, dwell on, and do. Even when things happen that I perceive to be bad at the time, I choose whether I stay there or move on. Dan says, this is Dan Atkins, the majority of upsets in life are created from unmet expectations. Even though the outcome of something may be very good, if the expectation were larger, it often leads to an upset. So I firmly agree that we're products of our expectations. The caveat is that our expectations 
are often created by our environment. Thus, I don't think that they're mutually exclusive and both contribute to us as the product. Well, I love the, the, the play, the counterplay that you all are sharing here that, uh, yes, they're both impacts, but um, we can put ourselves in the driver's seat if we choose to. Giovanna says, if a beautiful baby swan is raised around ordinary chickens or ordinary ducks, he will be taught to swim, quack, and act like a duck. But the moment he begins to see other swans like himself, his expectations for how he lives his life can change. But the key is he must choose. He can decide to stay in the tempting, familiar environment of ducks and live beneath his potential, or he can choose to live among his fellow swans and experience a whole new world of peace, adventure, and clarity. You know, I love that metaphor. And of course, we see the stories like that where a baby swan was raised with chickens or a baby. There, I've got one where a baby turkey was put in with chickens and raised as chickens. Well, they walk around and clock and scratch on the ground floor. They don't go anywhere. They don't fly. And then one day he sees a turkey flying over, I mean, an eagle flying. You know, I, I got this whole story wrong. My gosh, it was a baby eagle. That's what I wanted. Not a turkey. A turkey can stay on the ground. I wanted a baby eagle to be put in with baby chicks and grew up and time passed. And all of a sudden he saw this magnificent eagle flying overhead. And he thought, wait a minute, there's something in me that tells me I could do the same thing. And he flies out of there and joins the, the world of eagles. Well, I got my metaphors mixed up there, but thanks, Giovanna, for that example of a baby swan being raised by ordinary ducks. Julie says, I disagree. There are things that happen to us in our environment that we have no control over, that have nothing to do with expectations. I was raised in a religious cult. I had no control or expectations about that, but it profoundly affected me. As for expectations, I expected a long and successful marriage, but my husband was unfaithful. It's not the expectation that affects me now. It's how I deal with the gap between expectation and environment. Wow. Painful, powerful story there, Julie, for sure. Alan says, uh, Dan, clear-focused expectations when combined with the main ingredient action yields results. There are plenty of people that are willing to settle because they believe they cannot. The individuals that believe that they can then create a plan and act on that belief, move the needle forward and get results regardless of environment. Like Les Brown says, shoot for the moon. Even if you miss, you'll land among the stars. As you know, Les Brown was born in what would be considered by most a less than favorable environment. Yes, he was. He was considered unable to learn considered a dunce. And then somebody changed his expectations of himself and he's gone on to be this amazing motivational speaker, example of being able to change your expectations, change your life. Well, a couple more here. Yvette says, uh, absolutely true. However, the environment a person comes from can and does influence their expectations of themselves, those around them and the world at large. The great thing is that someone with expectations limitations can learn to expect better and greater things. All right. Now I'm going to, I've got another issue here. I mean, another kind of perspective on this that I want to add. It's a concept called post-traumatic growth. 
It's something I was exposed to fairly recently. I've been studying it some. I want to share it. Again, it's kind of a mind-blowing addition to what we're talking about here. Does our environment control us or can we, in fact, change our expectations and walk out of that? All right, now I'm going to play the little clip. It's three minutes long of my edition, my contribution to that audio CD, Nightingale Conant, where they asked 25 of their best-selling all-time authors to contribute a little piece about what added to your success. We heard the one from Tony Robbins. This is mine. And again, I'm going to give you a link to both of these and the other authors who contributed to that series. It's something that I keep with me in the car. I've listened to it over and over and over. Uh, these people who are sharing their little tidbits about success. Here's what I shared. Hi, this is Dan Miller, author of the Nightingale Conan program, Dream Job. I've had the pleasure of being a life coach for many years now, helping people through the inevitable work and career transitions that come our way. I love my work, and I spend my time helping others find or create work that is meaningful, fulfilling, and profitable. And yes, no matter where we are in an economic cycle, I believe it's possible to do just that. And here's why I believe that's possible. I was raised in a dairy farm in rural Ohio. My father, besides being a farmer, was also the pastor of a little Mennonite church in our one traffic light town. Now, this interesting combination gave me a unique perspective on the world. I was not allowed to join in with many of the other activities of the other kids in town. See, going to ball games, swimming pools, proms, dances, and free time were not allowed. Fancy cars, TVs, current fashions, and other worldly possessions were absolutely forbidden. Yet in that environment, nothing could stop my mind from wandering. Out in the fields, I imagined a world I had never seen. I wanted to do more, go more, have more, and be more than anything I was seeing. Somehow in that restricted little world, when I was about 13 years old, I was able to get a copy of that 45 RPM recording by Earl Nightingale titled The Strangest Secret. Here I heard this gravelly-voiced man say that I could be more and do more by simply changing my thinking. He talked about six words that could dramatically impact the results of my best efforts. We become what we think about. Thus, I was responsible for my future. Not the economy, not my family traditions, not the fact that I was seemingly stuck in a poor little farm, not even my IQ or academic training. I recognize that if we become what we think about, even my possibilities were limitless. Knowing this radical way of thinking would not be welcome in my house, I hid that little record under my mattress, bringing it out night after night again to hear the promises of a better life. Now, my peers were probably hiding their girly magazines under their beds, but this message of hope and opportunity is what captured my attention and imagination. I am responsible for the life I create. That one principle changed my life forever. Although I did encounter obstacles in getting through college, and I did experience a horrible business crash following one of the economic downturns, I have never been able to point fingers of blame at anyone or anything but the guy in the mirror. And knowing that I am responsible has been the key to not only recovering, but springing back to higher levels of success following those trying times. I've been privileged to share that principle with others and to see them break the change of discouragement, resentment, and depression. I've worked with physicians, dentists, pastors, and CEOs who felt trapped by life's circumstances only to discover the thrill of releasing their own creative options for a more fulfilling life. Thanks for allowing me to share my greatest lesson. 
Well, golly, I get inspired listening to that because it speaks so much to that critical time in my life where I realized, wow, no matter what my environment is, if I change my expectations, I could perhaps open the door to something other than what I seem to be experiencing right now. And that's come back, not just when I was a 13-year-old farm kid, but again and again and again. In situations where I say, wow, I'm not real thrilled about the environment here, the situation that I'm in, the circumstances, but I know that I can walk out of this by changing my expectations. And I sure don't want to put this out there. It's just some little empty mind game. You know, gee, you're sitting in prison somewhere and you just change your mind and the next day you're out. I mean, certainly there are times when our environments have a lot of impact on us and a lot of control. And it may take time to change dramatically the situation that you're in right now. You know, in, in talking about that, I get inspired about that, that message, that message that so profoundly impacted me as that young teenage farm kid. I'm going to play it here. I'm going to just insert it. I didn't have this in my notes, but I got it here handy in my little soundboard. This is Earl Knight, Yale, just 40 seconds long. This is a message that changed my thinking. Why do men with goals succeed in life and men without them fail? Well, let me tell you something which, if you really understand it, will alter your life immediately. If you understand completely what I'm going to tell you from this moment on, your life will never be the same again. You'll suddenly find that good luck just seems to be attracted to you. The things you want just seem to fall in line, and from now on you won't have the problems, the worries, the gnawing lump of anxiety that perhaps you've experienced before. Doubt, fear... Well, it'll be things of the past. Here's the key to success and the key to failure. We become what we think about. Now, let me say that again. We become what we think about. There it is. That's it. Now, there's more to the recording, but I probably listened to that message a hundred times before I was 15 years old. And it became a foundational principle for me and remains so today. Now, I want to add one more thought here, and we're going to wrap it up. I mentioned this concept of post-traumatic growth. Now, think about this again as we're talking about what does our environment do to us? Now, you know about post-traumatic stress syndrome. I mean, we hear about that a lot. There's like 24 million Americans suffering from post-traumatic stress syndrome at any given time. We hear about that a lot. I mean, and the symptoms include, you know, strong or unwanted memories of the event, bad dreams, emotional numbness, intense guilt or worry, angry outbursts, avoiding thoughts and situations that are reminders of the trauma. So we're very familiar with that term. In December of 2010, Kay Wilson struggled to escape through the forest after being repeatedly stabbed by a terrorist. She and her friend were out for a hike on the Israel Trail, and her only crime was being Jewish. Her attacker had a machete in one hand and a Marlboro in the other, and was frustrated. She heard him being frustrated that the serrations on his knife made it difficult to pull out after each stab. Kate pretended to be dead. She numbed her pain as she tried to get out of the forest where she was by singing Somewhere Over the Rainbow. She fought for breath. She had all kinds of injuries. I won't even go through the list of injuries. I mean, broken broken bones, uh, crushed organs, on and on. Her 
traveling companion, the girl, the other girl that was with her did not survive. Uh, Kate played dead as her attacker plunged his knife into her chest a final time. Today, she speaks to global audiences about her survival, hoping to dispel hatred, whether toward Arabs or Jews, as she tells in her new book, The Rage Less Traveled. That's a different response. A different response. Amazing trauma that she went through. Here's another one. Army surgeon Rhonda Corum. Helicopter was shot down in Iraq. She woke up dazed from blood loss with a busted knee, two broken arms, and a bullet in her shoulder. The 36-year-old surgeon was then subjected to a mock execution by her captors, sexually assaulted and held prisoner. Yet after her release, she surprised psychiatrists by focusing on all the ways she had improved. I became a better doctor, a better parent, a better commander, and probably a better person, she says. Now, how can these women be examples of what is now called post-traumatic growth rather than the more common post-traumatic stress disorder. Well, the term post-traumatic growth describes this surprising way that a lot of survivors discover in the process of healing from a traumatic event. Now, so let me just ask us this. You know, for most of us, things are pretty good right now. I mean, the economy is booming and unemployment is low. Our work and personal lives are going pretty well. The question is, what will you draw on if any of that suddenly changes? I mean, it's easy to be strong when there's very little that's threatening us. It's easy to have momentum when everything we're working on is working well. What if that got hard? Thomas Paine wrote in his pamphlet, The American Crisis, at the darkest point in the revolution. These are the times that try men's souls. I mean, you you probably remember that. Uh, There was a lot that had gone wrong. But this might be a good thing, he wrote, because, and listen to this. This is really an interesting sentence. There are some, excuse me, my goodness, I got choked just as I was saying an important concept. Thomas Paine said, There are some capacities inherent in us that cannot be unlocked by trifles. He observed it was only in difficult times that we might find and unlock within us what he called a cabinet of fortitude. Now, here's what I see happening, and this relates to this whole concept. Are we controlled by our environments, determined by them? Or can we walk out of trying environments, circumstances, and become something new. As I have worked with people over the years and seen people who went through trying circumstances and bounced right back, and then others who went through trying circumstances went down and stayed down, I've identified five factors that I think are really critical to allow us to then be able to set our expectations, make decisions that we want, and walk on to new times of victory, joy, success, fulfillment, meaning, whatever you want to call it. Without these, it's tough. Now, I certainly, you know, I don't want to step on any toes, but here's, here's what I just observed. This is just in observing people. Five factors that seem to be necessary to come back from tragedy or failure. Number one, loving relationships. Number two, uncompromising integrity. Number three, a clear purpose. 
Number four, vibrant health. Number five, optimistic faith. Now, you know, I don't want to minimize or artificially position our faith. I mean, yes, it gives us strength and fortitude that those without it don't have. It gives us comfort and the assurance that ultimately will, you know, like the old um, hymn, be safe and secure from all alarms. But the other items on this list are also critically important as well. And they're things that we can work on. Loving relationships, uncompromising integrity, clear purpose, vibrant health. Those are all things we can work on. We can work to strengthen all of those, giving us that insulation and preparedness for whatever may come. Now, studies of post-traumatic growth show that in the wake of trauma, there's a common paradox. People become more vulnerable, yet stronger. I mean, think about that. You know, when I went through a horrendous business crash, you know, a few years ago, was I vulnerable? Oh, my gosh. I mean, everybody in town knew it. It was very public news, what had happened. I mean, I owed half the people in town. The IRS would show up at my door. Vendors would call. Did I feel vulnerable? Yeah, you better believe it. But it was in that period of time that I decided, yes, I'm going to rise up above this. I'm going to go beyond this. That's when I I did commit, like one of the responses indicated, I committed to spending at least two hours a day listening to positive clean, pure, inspirational content from those masters of achievement. I'm going to give you a link to those. Yeah, that's what I listened to two hours a day. And I've never discontinued that because it had such a profound impact on me seeing that I could change my expectations, even in the midst of environment and circumstances that I did not enjoy, believe me. Well, so if, if it's post-trauma, can we choose growth rather than disorder? Again, I don't want to make that an, you know, just a flippant kind of response. Certainly there are people who struggle with that. But it's interesting that we see people that go through the most horrendous situations. Some come out stronger, grow to new levels of success. Others stay down and never recover. Well, I encourage you to be building up your reserves. I mean, not to be suspicious or expecting danger, but to be stronger for even the little challenges. I mean, none of us wants to, in a time of need, you know, open our cabinet of fortitude to find it empty. Oh my gosh, that's, that's a really interesting metaphor to think about that. Get the wrong music there to take us out. I want something a little softer, not so upbeat. Well, I hope this has prompted your thinking to look at your own life. Look back. Golly, if you're 20 years old, I mean, you, you have fresh memory of how you were raised, siblings that you grew up with. If you're 50, you got a little more life experience. If you're 60, you know, you can look back and say, what are those things? Why, why am I living the life I am today? You know, go back and listen to that Tony Robbins clip. Golly, two sons raised in the same environment. One says, I mean, they both said, how could I have lived, expected any other kind of life because of the dad that I had? One chose a life that mimicked his dad. One chose a life that was very different because of the bad example he saw. Well, I love those kind of examples. I love just um, exploring these concepts together with you each week. Again, if you've got questions, shoot those in to askdan at 48days.com. Well, thanks for being part of this process, this community where we know we can find or create work that is meaningful, purposeful, and profitable. Have a great week. 
Look at what you're doing in terms of setting your own expectations. Set your expectations to open the door to the life that you want to live. Don't feel like those are controlled by your past. I don't care if it was yesterday. Set your expectations for where you want to be, not just reflecting what you've come from. Have a great week.